Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Top five post-week seven thoughts. I realize that this one may not have as many legs on YouTube, but look, I got to come up with a bunch of these, and this is just what I was thinking of this morning when I was doing the top five. Number five. Tez Walker makes UNC a contender, not an ACC title contender. They're already that. But now, even with Drake May, who can, who can slice up about anybody, he's that good of a quarterback. Now they've got a dude who can win on every single route. And you can see why, outside of the fact that an injustice was done to Tez Walker, that they were fighting so hard for him because the dude can ball. He absolutely torched Miami for three touchdowns uh, this weekend. He's a physical presence out there. Uh, He is an absolute perfect fit for the offense. They're running at North Carolina. And last year, Drake May had Josh – the last couple years, Drake May had Josh Downs. Now he's got Tez Walker, and he's finally got a a true, true – and they've got – their running back's really good. Everything's good about North Carolina. But Tez Walker is an X-factor player that when it comes down to, okay, say they do wind up playing Michigan in a college football playoff game, who can win on routes against Michigan? Tez Walker can win on routes against teams like Michigan. Yeah, we didn't uh, touch on that, but that was one of the games that we picked, and um, that was a great win for North Carolina, who's now you know 6-0 and at the halfway point. But uh, there was a good story on you know his debut last week and – uh, was against Syracuse, right? Yep. And had, you know, a handful of catches, but it was like 43 yards or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's fine. Like, that's, you know, you're going to have games like that. But just for all of the hoopla surrounding his return, it was just not, not really anything notable. Um, but that was, you know, apparently a situation they had just given him like a set of, of plays, you know, just kind of get your feet wet. And then he and Drake May had some meetings together and, uh, they opened it up a lot more for this week, and we saw how well that worked. It worked really, really well for them. So, yeah, he changes that uh, that offense in a major way, changes that team's trajectory as well in a major way. Not sure he can do that every week, but, man, you add him with what Drake May's capable of doing, Hampton there at running back, and uh, that's that's a fancy new weapon that you got right at the right time for the Tar Heels for sure. Yeah. Mac Brown and company are unbeaten. Yeah, they're they're doing they're doing some really interesting things there uh, in Chapel Hill. Number four, how long is Brock Bowers out? Now, Georgia can overcome the loss of a star better than probably almost everybody in the country, but he's been the guy who's gotten him out of each and every jam they've been in this year, and he's not there now. So if he's gone for any kind of reasonable stretch of time, how does that affect their three-peat possibilities? Because, look, they probably don't have two losses on the schedule, but look, it's the SEC, and they've they've had scares from a 2-4 and four South Carolina team and a whatever is 2-4 and four, Auburn, 2-4 and four, Garrett as well. Uh, I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. Uh, well, both bad teams. I mean, they're not good. Auburn's three and three. Auburn's three and three. But they're, neither team is good, uh, Auburn or South Carolina right now. And they've both put a charge uh, right into Georgia. So 
if that happens again and you don't have Brock Bowers to get out of that hole, they're not a Washington Stars like they were last year. They've got some really good players, but they don't maybe have the kind of guys that won them those last two titles. How does that affect Georgia going forward? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a little bit of a coping of like, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal that they're still loaded for Bear, and, you know, Carson Beck will still find and have weapons and all that stuff, and that very well may be the case. But, man, I mean, talk about a bailout guy, a Mm. safety pin guy, like a a linchpin, um, a safety net, I think is what I was actually trying to say, and a linchpin, um, he's he's a – freak of nature and one of the best players in all of football and it certainly will be a guy we're talking about in the NFL very very soon as well so I don't know how even the best team's not hurt by losing maybe the best player in the game you know and and, or one of the best players in the game so yeah they're gonna miss him to what extent like you said is the big question um and this remaining schedule I mean they've got um three top 25 teams as it stands right now mm-hmm. uh, that are standing back to back to back, not not starting this week, but starting in two weeks with, uh, gosh, who is it? I was just looking at it a little while ago. Uh, they've got Missouri, Ole Miss, and Tennessee yeah. after Florida. So Florida first, though, and Florida, you know, hey, who knows with the, with the Gators. But, yeah, then Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee on the road, and then Georgia Tech on the road to close it out. So there's a couple teams in there that could give you a problem if you're not on your A game. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a blow for Georgia without a doubt. Now – if anybody was built to overcome that, they'd be, like, first in line, right? One of, like, five teams maybe that you could say, like, they could overcome something along those lines. But, man, that's still a big loss. He has uh, ten more catches than anybody else on the team. And then after that, it's more than ha- more than uh, twice as much. He has nearly twice as much yards receiving than anyone else on the team. And it also has scored four touchdowns and nobody else has scored twice as far yeah. as the receiving core. Yeah, absolutely. Number three. USC has some soul searching to do. Yes, they do. They really do. That was that wasn't a close loss. That wasn't oh man, if we don't have these this little thing happen. No. They had a lot of bad things happen to them in succession. And Notre Dame was the better coach team straight up and down uh, on Saturday night and you know, sent a message to the, you know, to, to USC that we don't care who your quarterback is. We don't care what the hype is. You're in South Bend now, kids, and we're playing big boy football. And I was, I was stunned that – I wasn't stunned that Notre Dame won. I mean, they're a favorite in the game. I was stunned that USC played that poorly and that Notre Dame um, – how they, much of that was Notre Dame well, forcing them? Like, yeah. Notre Dame capitalized on every like every time USC showed a little bit of weakness, Notre Dame exploited it. And it was uh, it is what I do think about Marcus Freeman as he's finding his sea legs as a head coach. Just remember this is only his second year. Like I think you've seen his floor and you're starting to see where he's stepping up. If he gets the guys there at Notre Dame, he coaches a really good game. He calls a very good game. He's got Everything kind of handled there. He is in the modern, like, kind of young, exciting coaches. One of those guys who can make a program that can get kind of dull, like Notre Dame and old and traditional, seem cool again. Now, look, he has to recruit in different waters because of the academic standards there. But if he makes Notre Dame cool again, then watch out because it looks like he's doing that and beating the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and the team that's supposed to be the captains of cool goes a long way in doing that. Yeah, they dominated that game. Yeah, somebody picked Notre Dame. Thank you for taking care of business. And I uh, didn't expect it to be that lopsided, but uh, that was a, a butt whooping. Uh, Audrey Estime is a really fun player to watch and a, a real good weapon there for the Irish uh, combined with Sam Hartman. And uh, their defense played really well. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing is, you know, 
USC's defense, you expect them to give up some points or give up some plays or whatever. But the fact that Caleb Williams threw three picks um, that they threw for less than 200 yards passing, that they barely ran for 100 yards on the ground, um, that's that's the most concerning thing was, yeah, you got beat, you got beat badly, but it was your offense that really did not play very well at all. And uh, as good as Notre Dame's defense might be, I mean, that's that's your bread and butter. So, um, yeah, very uncharacteristic performance from Caleb Williams and a bad showing overall for the Trojans. Still 6-1, and one, still very much in control of things and, and for the most part, not all the way anymore, but for the most part and with some huge games looming where they could really make a lot of noise and do some damage to the Pac-12 standings. But, yeah, that one leaves you scratching your head a little bit about what's to come. They dropped, too. It wasn't... They didn't just like their USC, so they went from eight to nine or twelve or thirteen. They fell all the way in one poll, I think, almost to the like almost out of the top twenty. Because we've been waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. They've, been, they've been skating on thin ice for a little while. Yep, yep. absolutely. No, yeah, think about it. If they've got if they had Arizona coming this week instead of a couple weeks ago with Noah Fafita on a roll, mm-hmm. right? What would that game be like? Number two, we haven't seen the last of Oregon. I think that they're going to keep, they're going to reinsert themselves back into the conversation. They're going to be right there lurking around. Washington's going to, you know, breathe easier because they got through them at least one time, but really, really hope that somebody comes up and gets them again, because as great as that game was for Washington, I'm sure neither of them want to see each other again. That was an absolute, um, just barnstormer. And yeah, people are on Dan Lanning for being too aggressive, but Again, he's just in his second year as a head coach too, right? He's figuring it out. Like sometimes gut plus analytics is the factor, not just gut regardless of analytics. I think that's where where he's got to go, and he'll figure those things out. Um, And part of it was also, like I said earlier in the show, if you missed it, I don't fault him for going for it because – those plays, if they work, win the game for you, every single one of them. They've just got to call better plays when they do that. And part of that is also a very young offensive coordinator in Will Stein who needs to know that as well. So, Yeah, I mean, there's things that they could have done better, but, I mean, you lost by three on the road to a top-10 team. Um, you know, like, I understand the hand-wringing, but, yeah, Dan Lanning is going to be better as a head coach and learn and make better decisions, but I feel pretty okay about where they are, all yeah. things considered. I think that Oregon's, like you said, going to be just fine, and they'll be favored in probably every game remaining for them, and maybe we see them in Washington part two. I, I wouldn't be mad at that, just like I wouldn't be mad at Oklahoma-Texas part two necessarily. So, um, yeah, I think that they're they're going to be A-OK. I was wondering about this, though. Well, a couple of things. One, Washington's receiving core is just so freaking nasty. Oh, God. Um, and, and they lost a guy during the game. Yeah. They lost Jalen McMillan during the game. Yeah. yeah, and he's very, very good. But, I mean, with Rome and Polk, I mean, they're, they're just so filthy. Uh, but that had to be, like, one of the only matchups ever where the two quarterbacks, especially in a top ten matchup, had NIX in their last names, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Penix and Nix. I would have yeah. to think so. I know that's so random, but I just thought about, like, what are the odds of NIX and two last names playing each other, top ten game, all that? But, yeah, I mean, we could very well see this again, and, and I wouldn't be mad at that because Oregon can leave that game going, if Dan Lanning does some things differently or if just one little thing goes differently, we win this game. Yep. I mean, it was that close. So, yeah, this was a coin flip all the way, and it turned out to be very much that. Number one. By the way, Polk, one of the receivers, is from Lufkin from yes. uh, here in Texas. Yes. Jimbo's got a ticking clock. I don't know how fast it's ticking, but it's ticking. It could be another year, but I'm telling you after that, the clock has started ticking because now the proof is in the pudding because you've asked him to do something he didn't want to do, 
which was bring in Bobby Petrino, and that's worked out a little bit for them, but also he's still making the same kind of decisions that hamstring even Bobby Petrino. So I don't know. I think where FSU sits right now, we talked about it earlier, FSU, A&M sits right now, it's very, it's very strange because who do you go out and get? Because you're paying a $10 million coach, you kind of are who you are, so you're probably going to go get somebody who maybe he's not a $10 million coach, but is a $7 million coach, and is that guy the right fit for you? They really need to call back to Phil Bennett a, a, about an hour ago, the Bob Stoops to come in and win with Jimbo's players like he like Bob Stoops did with John Blake's players. I'm not saying Bob Stoops specifically, but Bob Stoops came in, won a title with John Blake's players. They need that guy right now and then figure out the long term after that. You think they're gonna give the next guy just seven million a year? Yeah, that's that, the other I mean that's that would be their bargain. But right? just go find the right coach, Craig. Yeah, yeah I I need to rewind a little bit because I also want to make mention of that Washington Oregon game of our buddy Will Nixon. Yeah, got a carry in that game. We covered him at Midway, but you had a Nix, a Nixon, and a Penix. <laughs> yeah. That has to be a first, right? Yeah. Yeah. Three last names different Absolutely. with Nix in it. Anyways, that's like a Jeopardy thing or something. But that just, I, I thought that that was kind of unique. Um, but yeah, Jimbo, I, I don't know how you can't, you know, at least admit that there is some some ticking going on at this point. Like even the most positive, optimistic ags out there have to think that yeah, there's there's some ticking going on at this point. I just don't know, though, Paul. Like, I, you just can't go buy championships. No, you, know? you can't. And um, they've tried to, and they haven't been successful at that. They've had measures of success. But, you know, as far as getting over that hump, um, yeah, you can't just, you know, write a check and hire just a certain coach who's done it before and expect that that's going to be the case. And so I don't know where they turn to now. Um, I don't know if the answer is to go non-huge name head coach, or is that just too enticing that they got to have the, you know, who's the next big name guy that they could potentially go and get. Um, I know the money seems to never run out, so who knows, but I, I do think I'm with you on as far as the, like A&M is supposed to be not, they're not supposed to be the big blank check school, even if they have it, they're supposed to be more of the country in the dirt ag school. Right. And so this whole idea of basically just going and trying to buy a title has always kind of flown in the face of I feel like sort of what their ethos is in so many ways right and so I'm kind of with you that yeah like they need more of a of a Bob Stoops before he became famous Bob Stoops and somebody who's not like the big splash so that Twitter goes crazy but the guy who maybe you don't get the big round of applause at the opening press conference but damn it you're going to be really really good in a couple of years and you're going to be surprising people and he'll become the talk of college football not he already's been there done that somewhere else now we're going to have him just come over here and do it here no, somebody carve out their own mark. I mean, and at this point, that's really the only way they can turn because they've done the alternatives now at this stage. And so, yeah, it's it's a bit of a pickle they find themselves in. They're better equipped to deal with it than a lot of other schools would be. But, yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess. And, and they only had themselves to blame with that Jimbo contract, but I know that's what they had to do to get him in the first place. But it has not worked out like they thought. Go find somebody that fits and, um, and, and can, like, cultivate what you have and, and and perhaps just in the like chipping away the hard way and winning when you get to that point of winning it's not just with uh, a bunch of uh, bells and whistles and and perhaps with uh, whatever also someone who's fun man Jimbo's getting I, a beat a bit I, of a I say this kill. before tell me if I did I watched his post game the last couple of weeks and he 
spends the first 15 minutes basically going over every single situation during the game. Neil Brown does that too. Rather than actually just giving a statement and taking questions and then moving forward. I think he does that because he's trying to explain why he didn't make the – he's hoping people – yeah. He's trying to explain why, oh, I know that everybody else in the country is going for it on fourth down when they're at the opponent's – 39-yard line, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to punt because I'm expecting the other team to come out in the wishbone yeah. for some yeah. crazy I think, reason. I think the idea to hire him and the investment was brilliant mm-hmm. off on the surface, and initially it's like, hey, yeah, that's a, a big swing with a, a big stick, but, yeah, it's just not it's not working to the levels that they thought. And, you know, I, I said Neil Brown a second ago. I've just seen at least a couple of his press conferences where he comes in, he goes like play-by-play play almost. I don't know if he does that every week, but his wasn't filibustering. I think that's just what some coaches do kind of do that. You know, they go over the game initially, but I think in Jimbo's case, given the results and whatnot, it probably is a little bit of filibustering. And it's interesting you say that because – that's been the thing with Dave Aranda. It's one thing when you're losing. It's another thing when you're losing and you're not having any fun whatsoever. Or there's nothing to really rally around. And so, yeah, that is something that can be a, a double whammy of sorts for you if you're, you're Jimbo Fisher and your personality is not the most lovable while you're also losing with those big checks that you're cashing. One quick note from the chat room from Brock. Good to have you. The Big 12 is back to being unpredictable, and I love it. All of a sudden, Man. Oklahoma State looks like a Big 12 championship contender. Not sure about a contender, but they're in the mix. They're in the mix. And they play West Virginia, who was in the mix. And then they lose on that Hail Mary, and it's going to be fun to watch the grind of how that stand, how the standings eventually, how it all works out in the end. What a win for Houston that was, though. I mean, they desperately needed that, and they're in that weird situation where they don't even want Holgerson, I think, to be winning any games because it like goes against what they want. That yeah. They want a new coach, I think, a large portion of their fan base. Mm-hmm. But that was still a great win, snatching – victory from the jaws of defeat a great throw by donovan smith and a great play to come down with it but yeah we started the week with a hail mary ended the week with a hail mary with colorado state and Braden fowler nicolosi is a texas guy and the big 12 is is wild and unpredictable like you said this has been a rogue media network production